Hello, podcast listeners. This is Todd Finley, the founder of HBCU Grad. And the conversation you're about to listen to uh, is a really good conversation. Uh, my guest is very well spoken, well read, and she's very thorough and clear in her communication. And she also has a very impressive resume. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of the HBCU Audio Experience. Today, our guest is Aubrey Jackson. On Instagram, she is Aubrey on air. On YouTube, she is I am Aubrey. Her website is SoSouthernBell.com. Aubrey is a TV personality. Aubrey is a lifestyle blogger. Aubrey is an HBCU grad, a Claflin grad. She's also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. She's interned with Good Morning America and MTV. She's worked for NBC and CBS. She's even interviewed the great Tyra Banks. Aubrey, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Give us a little background on where you're from and your adolescence. I want to get the origin story a little bit. Absolutely. Well, a lot of it is shown in the content that I create through my blog platform. Southern Bell is all-encompassing and a very great descriptive of me. I am from South Carolina, so the, the Southern Bell to me is not a locator, it's an identifier, because it is what I embody. The, the girl that's going to be seen at church on Sundays and, and just loves her family and is really goal-driven and ambitious and is always just looking for an opportunity to help others. And that, to me, is what a Southern Belle is and what she embodies. And so being from South Carolina and having the experiences that I've had just growing up in the South, I think, are just some of the very moments that I cherish the most. Awesome. So you decided to go to Claflin. Why mm -hmm. is that? And it's so funny how it happened. My parents, my mom especially, she knew at 18 that she was she was supposed to travel the world and see great things. So she didn't take the college route. She actually served our country. And that is where my parents met. They both retired out of the military. So, you know, when I'm deciding what, what school to go to, she's kind of thinking like most would back home in South Carolina, University of South Carolina, Clemson University, Furman. Those are the, the well-known schools, especially if you're wanting to stay in state. And here I come to her and I said, Ma, I think I, think I want to go to an HBCU. Had no clue. I can't tell you where the idea came from. It wasn't a movie or a book I read. I just decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted my college experience to be different. And I identified with the, the concept of just being surrounded by others that look like you. And I saw the value in that. And so I wanted that experience because I never had that in any other capacity. So I tell her I want to go to an HBCU and she's like, Ooh, Oh, okay, boo. Well, let's do some <laughs> tours and <laughs> let's kind of go look around and, and see what we could find. And we traveled, we went to so many different schools from in Atlanta, North Carolina, and, and just kind of just, we just took a, a summer really to just go around and, and take a look and see what was out there. And we ended up at Claflin and we just knew my mom could just felt it. She's big on, on the spirit of discernment. She just said, boo, this, this feels right. Until this day, she's still cool with everyone in the admissions department. I tell them they should put her on payroll because she's recruiting <laughs> and they don't know it. 
Because she will tell anybody that a lot of the confidence that I grew to obtain definitely came from my college experience. And I agree with her. Right. Now, a lot of people know about the Hamptons, the Howards, the Mm -hmm. Morehouses, the Spelman, the FAMUs. A lot of people don't really know about the Claflins, but Mm -hmm. Claflin always makes it onto the top 10 list of HBCUs. Why is that? Absolutely. And it's, I, and I have so much respect for the FAMUs, the Howards, the Hamptons, because they are able to be in a, in a position and in a light and on a grand stage that still has HBCUs a part of the greater dialogue. And I think at the end of the day, that's just as important as making the top 10 list. Um, and I, I will say from my experience of being a graduate, is because there's so there's so many people there that want to see the students succeed. It's not just your student one, two, three. They they want to identify your goals, your passions, your skills, and find where you fit. And I, that's why I think they've been able to see so much success over the years is because they're making create they're creating relationships and fostering that with each student instead of it just being a place to learn and, and be an education platform. Right. right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what did you decide to major in in college? And I literally decided the summer before I went to school. That's the funny part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I decided to major in mass communications and let mm-hmm. that serve as my focus. I minored in business administration, but mass comm is all is encompassing of, you know, PR and, and media relations and TV, radio, it's, it's kind of like a, a overarching umbrella of all things media. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, were there, was there anybody in your family that had ever majored in that or was it someone that you saw? Did you say, Hey, I may want to be on TV one day. What kind of made you want to be a mass comm major? It came to me naturally when I was posed the question, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? At the beginning, I would say of my life <laughs> where you're having to, I don't think people realize when you're asking teenagers or, or young adults, you know, a question that holds that much weight and you're having to decide when you're walking on campus freshman year. But for me, I always knew that I had a, a knack for connecting. I had a passion for storytelling. And a lot of that came from my theater background. Growing up, I was mm. a part of, you know, acting and and singing groups and just anything drama or theater came to me naturally because that's the environment that I was in when it came out of being in in school. My mom was really big on having something that you were doing after school during the summer, just keep yourself busy, keep yourself active. And so when I didn't get picked up for Disney or something, you know, when you, when you don't become like super famous or something like that, um, you kind of have to say to yourself, okay, is this something that you can continue to pursue or is there another way to use the skills and the talents that you naturally have, but just in a different arena. And that's when I did some research and found MassCom and realized that you can still have that, that aspect of being on stage, which is, which comes in the delivery, but you also have the chance to still, dig deeper into stories and, and tell some really amazing, amazing stories at the same time. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me a little bit more about your HBCU experience. How, how was it? Do you regret it? Do you, 
If you're reincarnated, would you love to be back on an HBCU campus? Tell me a little bit about it. I loved my HBCU experience because I think anyone who's a product of an HBCU can agree when I say your experience is what you make it. The opportunities are there. The fun is definitely there. You know, everything is really at your disposal. It's it's you deciding, okay, what does this HBCU look like for me? What What story will I take away from this? And I completely agree that my confidence is a result of, of Claflin and the professors that I had and the relationships that I made because the whole concept of Claflin is creating visionaries. And I am mm-hmm. always thinking out of the box, whether it's professionally or personally, I'm always thinking, okay, if we only have this to work with, we need to create this. And that was the overarching mission at Claflin. We may not have had a lot, but we, we did the very best and if not surpassed expectations with what we had and they were always so good about pushing you as a student and challenging you and wanting you to go for more than what you even believe that you're capable of and that is something that I think was instilled in me as a student there and continues to to shine in my adult life right right that that makes a lot of makes a lot of sense so upon graduation well let's take a step back you you joined Alpha Kappa Alpha in what year? Yes, uh, 2011. It's crazy. 2011. <laughs> so you become old school already. I think I'm old school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how fast you become old school within the, within the Greek life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like it was just yesterday. So what made you join a sorority? It really was a, a decision that I had to make for myself because my, I didn't have any siblings that were a part of Greek life. My, my mom didn't really know much about it, but now she has a shirt that says my daughter's an AK. She's wild, honey. I can't <laughs> keep up with her. <laughs> but um, for me, it was just wanting to be a part of something bigger, but also have it be an organization that matched the the values and the morals that that I already possessed and supported as an individual and that mm-hmm. being around other like-minded people would just accelerate that and that's what AKA did for me I mean there were times where I had internships in different states or even just wanting to travel to different places and I always knew that I had someone I could call we may have not met in person or know each other from Instagram but if that's my soror that's my soror and there's a level of comfort and and warmth in knowing that you can travel anywhere domestically, internationally, and have a family or a sister there for you. And that's amazing to me. Yes. Yes. That's, that, that's great. And that's awesome. That's one of the great things about sororities and fraternities. That, mm-hmm. You know, when you start to look at members of these organizations, um, a lot of it can be the selection process, yes. But oftentimes, it's the experience and uh, what you learn in these organizations that allow you to become an extremely successful person. Absolutely, that is so true. Right. So, so after graduation, what was the next move for you? Well, I like to tell people because a lot of folks will reach out to me all the time, you know, wanting to know, you know, how do you get started in media and how do you, you know, get get yourself in the best position for graduation. 
And for me, I made a lot of sacrifices, more so than than the average, because when when my friends were wanting to go on spring break trips, I'm in someone's newsroom. I actually my freshman year, the summer of my freshman year, I doubled up half the summer. I was at a radio station. The other half of the summer I was at the local news station because I wanted to try to find out where do I fit? I know I like media, but what do I really want to do? And I'm still connected with those folks till this day. And I think a lot of it is because of the tenacity and the hard work that my parents put in when it came to serving our country that I thought the same way of being just as hard and diligent on myself and being able to say, okay, you're going to have a platform and an opportunity to share stories, find out where you, where your voice best fits. And so having all of that in my mind and making the sacrifices that I did, I was able to have um, a job offer before I graduated. And that was a blessing but I sometimes look back and I'm like, you know what? That spring break trip would have been fun to the beach with the girls. And because uh, <laughs> now we're on different parts of, all over the world and we're trying to get together for a weekend is a hassle. <laughs> right. So. So how did how did you get an offer before graduating college? So the way that that worked out is I was able to make those connections from freshman year leading up to senior year. And I started actually in not necessarily my hometown market, but I was still in my home state. And so it was the Myrtle Beach, Charleston market. And I made those connections there, sent my stuff out. And it's also about timing, the timing in which I would put my stuff out there and, and told folks, hey, I'm, here's my reel, here's my resume and all of that. I graduate in May. You know, that's a, I gave myself enough time to to go through the job hunting process, but also to make myself readily available. So the slot opened up and it was ample time to go right in. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So you interned at Good Morning America, correct? Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. How was that? That was a very solidifying experience. And I'll say that because if I had ever had any doubt from freshman year to junior year, that experience was enough for me to say, this is what I want to do. This is the industry that I want to be in. And it's because I saw Robin Roberts at the anchor desk. It's because I saw the team of people, the hundreds of people that it took to put the broadcast on, but, but how everybody has, you know, so many different skills and, and so many different talents and they're all working together to put on honestly, I would say TV gold, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're able to still deliver the news, you're able to still educate an audience, but you're also going to have, you know, Rihanna come on stage and sing. I mean, it was just amazing to me that this is, this is a very eclectic broadcast and it's possible to do and on a national level to be in New York. And that was my first time ever in the city. It was just a lot and it could have been overwhelming. It could have been over consuming, but for me, it was enough for me to say this is it you're in the right spot right Mm -hmm. you know from a outside person looking in oftentimes they can probably think that it's something that you know happens pretty easy because Mm of you know what's you know how it's how it's presented what all goes into uh, just just making a broadcast planning a broadcast uh, the editing, give us a little background on everything it takes to just come up with a 30 minute to an hour show. So, mm-hmm. 
when you're going into your first newsroom, the best advice I could give to anyone is to be, allow yourself to know as much as you can about the different facets of the newsroom. I can write, I can shoot, I can edit. If you want me to direct, I can. Am I the best at it? But I'll let you know ahead of time. We can do it, but um, you know, don't call me all the time for it. <laughs> but I allow myself to to know how to to serve in those different capacities because more often than not, if you're probably not already seeing in your local markets, you're seeing the reporters doing their own camera work. You know, you're seeing the reporters overseeing their own social media and and doing their own social broadcasts. Even that's a thing. Going live, you can do that from your smartphone. So it's a lot of changing dynamics happening in our industry that the best thing you can do to keep yourself competitive and prepared for the newsrooms that are ever changing is to be multifaceted, multi-skilled and multi-talented so that if there's one position or one um, specific role that is leaving the newsroom, for, for example, you can fill in, a, in other gaps because you've done the work on your end to prepare yourself because it takes a lot. You need the producer, the director, the editor, the talent, but sometimes you can wear three hats in certain markets and that's just what it takes. Right. With, with you being classically trained and you seeing so many quote unquote journalists out here that don't have any mm -hmm. training, what are your thoughts on that? What we're seeing where the influencers or the YouTube stars or the reality stars, when you're seeing them host the Grammys or the E! News red carpets and things like that, I know that sometimes journalists with degrees might take offense, but I think it is just a reality of the scope and the way in which media is changing there will always be a space yeah. for traditional media. There will always be a respect for the traditional broadcast. But if it comes down mm -hmm. to reach and there is a kid playing with toys on YouTube or 1.5 million followers, I'm probably going to hit up that kid to either talk yep. on my podcast or MC my panel or something like that. And granted, he's a kid and he has no clue what he's saying or he, what he's doing, but he's reaching an audience. And if we go back to the core of communications, that is what we're supposed to do is reach the masses right. and educate, inform, inspire, and now more than ever, more than ever engage. So I don't think it's a, right. it's a slight as to what we're seeing with the rise of the influencer. Um, but I think it's just showing that while you're in school, for those listening, do what you can right now to create your content and get those skills under your belt so that when you're going into the competitive space, you're more than ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's a lot of uh, different disciplines like that, because probably half of the successful entrepreneurs out here don't have business mm -hmm. degrees, but they can come out here and be successful because of the tools, because of their ability to influence and because they've built audiences. So I'm, I'm glad you gave that perspective, because I know some people can be a little bitter that they have that they're classically mm -hmm. trained and they know traditional media, then, you know, people come out here and uh, can be just as effective or more effective. So I'm, I'm glad you have that perspective and you shared that with Absolutely. Me. Because even though you, you may have your degree and you know from the book standpoint of how to be a journalist or work in the STEM of media, it also can go over to if this person just understands how to 
evoke emotion and reach a, a, a wide audience on social media, think about collaboration over competition because you have the know-how from an mm-hmm. education standpoint. Mm-hmm. And this person just has a knack for reaching a bunch of people on a certain platform. There's no reason for there to be a competitive element. You both have something that you can learn from. They didn't sit in a classroom, but also you might not understand the skill that they have to reach a wider audience. So learn from each other. If we did that, I'm pretty sure that the landscape would be so different today. (laughs) Yeah. Collaboration is so important. And then information is commoditized, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, at one time you had to sit in a classroom to learn things. Now you just how to write an article. Enter mm-hmm. on Google, Google University. <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me about when you interviewed Tyra mm-hmm. Banks. That was that was my first official, I'll say official, celebrity interview. And that actually happened. And I'll, I know a lot of people say, you know, preparation meets opportunity and all of and there's luck and all of that. I think when an opportunity comes knocking, do what you got to do to make it happen. Because I actually finished my internship at GMA, went back home, and then found out that when I had submitted, I think it was a few months earlier for the chance to interview Tyra because she was promoting her new America's Next Top Model series that was coming out or her new season. And they were like, hey, yeah, we're going to have Tyra in town. This is a Monday. We're going to have her in town on Wednesday. We'd love for you to to come out and interview. We really liked your stuff. We liked your reel. And I'm thinking, I just got off the flight. My, I just stepped <laughs> foot on South Carolina soil. And I'm sitting here like, okay, mom, can we, uh, can we get another flight? Like, we got to go. And she knew that you right. have to be you have to be willing to make those sacrifices. And I was already very understanding of that because I had been doing it my whole college career. And I knew that I had to have that element of understanding of the sacrifices you have to make. And because I knew that from school, having an opportunity like that come and knowing that I have to hop back on a flight was easy because you know you have to be in those certain elements and positions to move forward. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Does she look as good in person as she, I, should, I know you can't answer this, but this <laughs> she's look, so this tall. Like I, I was just, I tried to wear my highest heels that I owned. I tell you, <laughs> and I just thought, oh my gosh, like to be that tall, I just like wonder what that's like. I'm like, hey girl, I'm down here. Like, how are you? <laughs> but she's so sweet, so humble, and and the way in which she's projected and and seen on camera is really how she is. She's so kind. She'll help anybody. You didn't answer my question, Aubrey. Oh, yeah. She's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> On camera, in person, just, all of that. She's just tall. I could only see but so far, so. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> awesome. So when did you decide to start a blog and start a YouTube and start doing things, um, on the, I don't want to say on the side, but outside of what you do for a living. It actually came about, it came about pretty organically. It wasn't something that I thought of ahead of time. And I'm going to put this website together and I'm going to put all this content because a lot of it was trial and error. I had to teach myself, you know, the HTML and coding and trying to understand how to make my blog you know aesthetically pleasing and what type of content do I want to produce? You know, so a lot of it had to do with you know, being self-aware and really taking a step back and saying, okay, as the individual, 
what do you have to offer when you take away your job title, when you take away everything that's pretty um, material, what type of content, what's your truth and what does that look like in content form? And that's really what made me create a space to house that. That's really all it was. And then it just became, oh, you really like fashion. You really love traveling. Well, that makes sense because you're a product of your parents, you know, And, and to me, it's not just fashion as in wearing an outfit it's really the 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 way it makes you feel you dress how how you feel inside and so everything has a a deeper meaning and a deeper context and a lot of times that's what I I hope that I'm putting out there through my content and it just it just happened naturally and it's something that I like to do creatively even today so it's more of an outlet and a resource than a project for me Nice, nice. Now you built your own website? Yes. So the way that you can do it now without having to just start from scratch, there's themes. So you can, you're given a theme, which is kind of like, we're going to give you the four walls. Now decorate and do it up Mm -hmm. inside how you will. So I'm no Chip and Joanna, as much as I love them on HGTV. So I had to teach myself (laughs) how to become that version uh, of creativity in the digital space. And like you said, that's Google University. That's YouTube 101. I mean, it took a while because you can pay hundreds of dollars and have it done for you. But when you're starting out and you don't really know what this looks like yet, what your vision is, you're better. You're in a better space to learn anyway, I believe. Right. And doing research for this. And when I was on your website, I was thoroughly impressed i will i will almost would have bet that you outsourced it and had somebody else build it for you that's how how good your website well, thank is. you thank you yes yeah, you, did, you did a really good job on that so you started a, a female empowerment series called hey girl yes. hey what what sparked what sparked this series and a lot of it goes back to my truth i decided to start this series because i thought about the very conversations that me and my close girlfriends have. And it, it even goes deeper than that. When when we started to create certain sitcoms or TV shows within our own community, we did so because we didn't feel like we saw ourselves represented. And so for me, if you go online, you're really not seeing many channels or or accounts that are talking about the very things that you and your girlfriends or you and your homeboys are talking about. Because one, it puts you in a very vulnerable place And everybody wants to use social media to highlight, and that's great. But nobody wants to kind of talk about, well, I really am going through this right now, or I'm not in my best season, but I'm learning. So there's a a plus to that. And that's what I created it for. My first first, um, installment to my series was in regards to dating, because at that time and in that season of my life, I was dealing with stuff that dealt with dating. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. And being in, in journalism, it makes sense for a writer. It probably would be very therapeutic for them to journal. But for me, I'm like, you know, I understand the camera and I don't feel like I'm weird sitting in one spot talking to <laughs> my camera. It feels authentic. It feels real and raw. And that's my source of therapy. Yeah. And when you when you look at your videos, they seem authentic. Thank you. <laughs> and I think that whoever, however much truth you're willing to share, that's how far you'll mm-hmm. go because truth resonates it with does. people. It does. So, so, you know, with you having a, a lifestyle blog with your YouTube channel and then having that 
integrated on your on your website, I think it really gives uh, the audience the ability to consume it in the way that works for them. If they want to read the written word, if they want to listen to it, if they want to watch it, you know, it works well. And you have that communication mm-hmm. style. So, you know, I, I really think that's good that you give the audience a chance to kind of consume it in the way that they want to. So I was looking at the content. How do you decide what content to produce? Is it something that comes up? Do you plan on and say, hey, I think people want to see this type of content or do you just pretty much vlog or, you know, talk about what you're going through, like you said, with the with the dating content? A lot of it will it will have to come to me organically. And you could actually, from beauty vloggers to the people that just kind of do like prankster accounts, and you'll see a lot of YouTube or video folks that have that that skill set. They'll say, "Oh, I I was gone because I just didn't feel like filming, or or I just I was I was in a funk. I don't really I didn't really feel like doing the whole YouTube thing." And that's that's a very real and raw and valid emotion because especially for the content that I produce, I I want to go through certain things. So then when I'm sharing the very issue or the topic, I'm also sharing, well, you know what, because of this, this is what I learned from it. Have you gone through this? What was your experience like? And that's just the way that, that I like to have my content flow. So if it's, if I'm not going through something that is going to educate or inspire I won't film that that day. And that's just because I want my information and my content to be meaningful. There's so many options you can choose from on various platforms that the one thing that you can do is be true to you and know that people will pick up on that quicker than any beautiful edited picture or video or montage. If you're true to yourself and your authentic and your content is authentic, that's what's going to carry you all the way through. Okay. Now, I know a lot of people want to become content creators. How did you get going? Like, how did you just say, you know what, I'm just going to start? Like, what was your what was your first step in, um, in starting to put content out? It's really easy, I would say, in this day and age, especially because we have so much at our disposal with social media and just all of the equipment that you have access to, even on the digital space of it, that you, for some people, it's really interesting to see how they could just pick up their cell phone, post a video about their life or their day or something, and it goes viral. And then that they're content creators. That's their, their platform. That's their voice. That's their thing. On my end of things, I, I come from the traditional journalism background. So wanting to have great lighting, wanting to edit my own stuff, wanting to have, you know, three point angles with my camera, you know, all of that is, is exciting for me with building um, the whole experience when really it's as simple as picking up your phone and putting a video together and posting it on Twitter or something like that. And you can go viral and be just as fine. So you don't have to do all the legwork that I'm doing, but I come from an era where you want to produce an experience and evoke an emotion and really grab people in that regard. So lighting and audio and all of that matters, but it, it doesn't, you can simply start with your idea. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. So what's your schedule in, in creating content? 
it's really important to have a schedule. I have more of a, a content schedule with my, my blogging platform or more so with my, my social media strategy with my series. I really just allow, I allow my, my spirit to lead me on that. If I'm going to put a video together, it's a topic that is already on my heart and it will just naturally free flow. I very rarely write down anything at best. It's talking points. So I don't become chatty Cathy. So I, <laughs> I just come up with things that, that I, actually feel in that moment and the most recent one how to choose your friends like you choose your selfie was because I had gone through an experience where I had to assess my own circle of people because I'm in a season where everybody cannot go with me wherever it is that he is trying to take me so I just thought okay if we were so particular in the way that we choose the people we surround ourselves with the same way we do with our selfies because I even do it I'm thinking oh my I would be set because my selfie game is strong. So imagine if that was the same thing we applied to the people that we allowed to be in our life that have an even more astounding impact on who you are than the selfie that you post. So let's, let's dive a little bit deeper there. How do you choose your circle? I, I was able to make my video kind of funny um, because this can go deep and this can be also um, a, a very therapeutic situation for people because it's going to always come full circle and, and, and come back to where you need to look at yourself as well. It's, it's not, it's more about you than the, than the people. And I ended up kind of listing the three people that you should have just in general with, with wherever you are in your life, um, having your positive Patty, that's just always there for you, having your truthful Tracy, that's going to keep it a hundred, even though you don't want to hear it. And, you know, just just having those those certain characteristics in your friends so that you can always be at your best self because you need a tribe as well. I think we see that even more in this generation because we're so easily connected. But yet somehow a lot of people still feel very lonely. It's a really interesting complex for the millennials and Gen X because it it plays off of itself. So I just think that being able to choose your circle comes from being self-aware. Right. So your circle, if they had to um, identify mm -hmm. who you are within their circle, what would they say that you are? I'm pretty sure my circle would say I'm a mix between truthful Tracy and positive Patty because okay. I'm going to be very real and, and honest in regards to whatever my girls are going through because I, I treat my friends like family. So I'm, I'm going to do that in a very truthful way because I would want the same in return. But I'm also going to say, okay, you know, this is happening right now, but man, wait until you look back a few years and, and think about what you learned from it. And because I know that there's always going to be highs and lows and ups and downs and our generation compared to our parents, we have a completely different set of stressors and our reality looks nothing like our parents. So we didn't come into our generation didn't come with a manual. There's no way we could have prepared for the issues that we have as a generation. So the only thing you can do is take it head on, but find the learning experience in everything. Exactly. Exactly. So with your with your brand and with your uh, profession, how do you keep that balance and still having time to do things socially 
Uh, how do you how do you maintain the balance? Work life balance is so important. I actually posted a, a picture on my my Instagram today talking about what advice you would give to your younger self because it's something I I think about now and I, I'm not I'm under thirty but it's still something you think about because it's like wow it, and the where you are right now if you were able to know the very things that you know today back then even 17 18 years old it could completely change the course and the direction of your life but it had things had to happen in such a way that you can say wow i know more now than i did in the past and i think for me it's it's really just more so about allowing your journey and your tests in life to be your very testimony it, mm, it, it's like that. it and that really is it and I think also it's because you know my my parents chose a very different route than than most it was all for many it was go to school get your education get a job I think because my parents went into a different direction that it allowed me to think outside the box and think differently so I don't see struggle as hurt I see struggle and hardship as a way to grow and become better and ultimately share that with others so you're you're helping the next person. And that's what right. that's what really is the genesis of my content. That's the genesis of why I got into journalism because, and even with my theater background, I was able to be on stage and play a character and evoke emotion. And that was already within mm -hmm. you, but it took my performance to, to get that out of you. So I was the vessel. In every aspect of my life, it's always it always comes back to me wanting to help someone in some way and that is also what my parents did in serving our country and i think that if if we can go back to our core and really identify with what drives us what fuels us that's when you'll find that you are in line with with your purpose and your destiny and that's what what's happened for me right that makes a lot of sense what are you what are you currently working on so right now, um, I'm allowing my content creation to be my my therapy and help with my work-life balance because being in, in journalism or any career field that is in media or being like a doctor or a lawyer, anything that's super demanding is, is going to ask a lot of you. And if you're able to find a way to still connect with your creative side, your passions, your talents then you'll be able to to balance the two because the sacrifices that I made in college prepared me for the sacrifices I had to make in my adult life in in my career space but it's still there was nowhere in my my journey to understand the importance of work life balance i just knew how to work and i just knew how to how to hustle and do what i needed to do and now i'm stopping myself and saying but what is it that you want to do do you do you want to make a video today? Do you do you have a blog post that's on your heart or or do you want to just go get your nails done? You know, focus on on you because self-care, we're hearing that a lot even just recently and it's because a lot of times we forget to come back to our core. Right. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense and with HBCU grad uh for the last two or three years, we post we have posted sometimes eight to 10 times a day, sometimes even more than that. And when we don't post, I don't beat the team up. I don't beat myself up and we just live to fight another day. Yes. So really listening to yourself and being self-aware is so important, even though you have schedules and 
you know, deadlines and goals that you want to attain. Sometimes you just got to kind of let it flow. So I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that because it can kind of send people in a tailspin sometimes when, when they don't uh, reach their goals or they don't do what they said they're going to do and they beat themselves up instead of saying, Hey, it's not that big of a deal. Just, you know, do what's on your heart and do what feels right. And that's so true. And and that this can be um, my, my last takeaway for, for folks is we as, as a culture have always had the fight in us. We had no choice and it goes as far back as our ancestors. So whenever there's adversity and we're going to face it, no matter what career field you choose, you're going to realize that you have the fight in you and going to an HBCU, I think cultivates that even more and allows you to see that in the, in the face of adversity, you can go to your tribe. You can, you know, call up your resources. You can reach out to your soror, reach out to your frat brother. More than anything, my HBCU experience gave me the very resource that I needed for anything going after graduation. It, they built me up from the bottom and gave me the, the manual that I never had. And so that's what I think people should realize when it comes to giving back as an alumni or going to homecoming or just doing anything you can to, to give back to the very school and, and university that created who you are today. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm glad you shared that. And I'm, and I'm glad you, you shared your story because I think it um, lended a lot of insight into uh, what it takes to make it to a certain mm-hmm. level um, in broadcasting, but just in general, wherever you're, you're going to have to make some sacrifice. Um, you're going to have to be good at what you do. Um, always keep your options open by doing things uh, that you love and staying creative, you know, at the same time, keeping your tribe strong. Yeah. So I, I think, I think we're going to get a people are going to get a lot of out of your Thank story. You. <laughs> uh, where, yeah, thank you for for talking to us. Where are you currently? Yes, so if you if everyone wants to to keep in touch or or reach out, please feel free to do so on any of my online platforms on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all Aubrey on Air. My website is so southernbell.com and youtube.com slash I am Aubrey. I'm very responsive, so okay. hit me up. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Before we leave, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask the question of the mm-hmm. day. It can be about anything. It can be about HBCUs. It can be about um, people living in their purpose. Mm-hmm. It can be about mental health. It can be about mm-hmm. what people want to do as careers, what they want to see from you as content. You can go selfish like that as well. But you get a chance to ask our audience the question of the day. And oftentimes you can get some some really good insights. So yeah. it's on you for the question of the okay. day. Well, it is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. So I am going to pose a question in regards to that. And it's a question that I'm going to ask, and you cannot answer with your title, your position, or anything material as that. The question is, who are you? Great question. Great question. Thank you, Aubrey. I wish you the best. We're here for you if you ever need us. (laughs) And we will be keeping up. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Bye-bye. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your attention. We appreciate the feedback that you give us. If you haven't already, please rate the podcast on iTunes. Also share the podcast and let everyone you know, know that the HBCU audio experience is the best podcast that you listen to. Again, thanks for listening and have a good day.